0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Welcome to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here. We're so grateful that you're here. Bob's in the round. Good. Um, we've got our scouts in the back. We support our scout troop, which meets right next door uh, in, this, in the stone house. Uh, make sure you speak to the scouts and welcome them to worship today. They've just come from camping, so I think they probably smell like roses and <laughs> a fume and whatever. Who knows? sure they've had a good time we're glad to have you boys thank you uh, for coming to worship with us i promised them that i would not do this very often but i get the question enough my family's so quiet and they go back and forth between the services i'm going to ask y'all to stand up please please stand up come on this is katie say hey katie Addison, you don't do anything. you can clap for them, that's fine. Uh, Addison is a middle schooler, and Caroline's in elementary school in fourth grade that um, people say who's, who's Katie Katie Kate um, people teased her about it in middle school, and it has continued on to this day. Um, good news for the week. The Greer Mission Group meets this week, and this is the vision of our district superintendent, who said we're not going to gather as a district any longer, uh, 60 of us all together. I'm going to get the churches of this area that are United Methodist, six to eight churches in each region, to meet on a constant basis to think about how they can specialize in ministry and mission to the community for their specific area. So I'm in the Greer group, so um, I can't, I'm sorry I should have made the list of them, um, but um, Victor and Immigray uh, and a number of churches in this air covenant, churches in the Greer area, one minister and one missions person will meet once a month to say what are we doing and what can we do? Because what's that word before? United, before you Methodist on our side. United. 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 I butchered it. Uh, United, but sometimes we're congregational. We just focus on our own congregation. Um, these meetings are going to um, look for ways to uh, reach out to the community. Um, worship plans. The kids are going to sing next Sunday in 11 a.m. Uh, the 20th, and they'll sing in contemporary worship in January as part of the kids' Sabbath. Um, faith development. I want you to know that Paige has established a youth leadership team made up of juniors and seniors in her program. It was juniors and seniors are going to meet with her early before the regular program uh, every week to talk about what the um, youth prayer program can be doing and and help build up leaders in that program. Youth are uh, going to a movie today so they need to be at the church at 3. They are going to a movie at 4. They're going to see War room, right? Well, um, you can Google that if you want to participate in that. If your youth want to go, make sure you're here at three o'clock, um, and they will not have regular Sunday programming because they're going to the movie. Um, missions and service announcement: If you look in your bulletin, you have the Epworth Children's Home flyer. Epworth is a tremendous ministry in Columbia that's been there for decades, helping people who could not, uh, who did not have great home environments. They were given a chance to come there, be given a decent environment, get them to school, get them to do their homework, and then get them to get a leg up in the community. And so we invite you to give to uh, Epworth, which is a United Methodist ministry. If you don't have money today to contribute to that, I believe we can do it for about three weeks. Um, So take the envelope home with you, or if you're the type that loses it, put it in the pew and come back and then put it in there. And then you can put it in the offering, I believe... That's everything except for the back. Look at the back of your bulletin. See that blank spot? We're inviting uh, children to uh, draw something about church that they like in that blank spot and to bring it to us, and we're gonna print those um, in future bulletins. So the back page of the bulletin will have children's artwork on it in that spot. Um, Bob McQuaid is gonna talk to us about uh, the Sunday evening study. Bob is uh, one of our retired ministers in the congregation, all with supremely different talents. His is what? Being obnoxious. (laughs) Teaching, teaching. Good morning. Tonight at 6 p.m. in the social hall, we continue our study, Being Christian in a Post-Christian Culture. This is an important and timely and relevant study. If you missed the first two, you can come tonight and quickly catch up. 6 p.m. in social hall, being Christian in a post-Christian culture. We've had, according to clergy count, about 45 people. It's actually 30. So why don't you come tonight? Thank you, Bob. Uh, Let's turn our hearts towards the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and for the call that you have placed on our hearts and minds to come and to gather together in worship. May everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, honor and glorify you. Teach us this morning, Lord, of your extravagant pursuing generosity, your hospitality, your love for us every single day. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our first hymn, number 715. be seated. We have the children come forward and join Miss
1: Katie.
2: everybody. Good. This morning we're going to talk about fans and followers. Are you a fan of anything? Are you in a fan club of any kind? Who do you like? Who are you a fan of? A sports team? Okay. Clemson. You saw my flag? Did you see my flag? Anybody else? Maybe there's a musician that you like or a band or an actor or an actress or maybe it's a sports team. If you're a member of a fan club, you are a really enthusiastic supporter of whatever they do. If it's a sports team, like Jessica mentioned, you might wear a shirt that has their logo on it or a picture of their mascot. Or maybe you have a flag like I brought with me this morning. What kind of flag is this? Okay, so when would I use that? Would I use it right now? Maybe during football season? Yeah? Well. If I'm flying my flag, do you think my team's doing good? Yeah, a lot of times when we're a fan of something, especially if it's a sports team, we are waving our flags high if our team is doing good and winning. And then what happens when they're not doing so good? Maybe take those flags down sometimes, we're not so proud anymore. So that's one thing that we notice about fan clubs, is that if the team or the group is doing really well, we're really excited about it, and we're glad to let other people know that we're fans of them. But if they're not, we kind of drop off of cheering for them, don't we? Well, when Jesus was on earth, he had a lot of fans. He traveled around performing miracles, feeding a, few, a lot of people with a few loaves of bread, healing people who couldn't see. And there were huge crowds that followed him around when he did those things. But you know what? Jesus didn't care about that. He didn't want fans. He wasn't interested in that. One day he said to a crowd of people, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your ways, your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life and your ways, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will save it. So to be a follower of Jesus means a lot more than just being a member of his fan club because that's not what matters to him. It means more than wearing a t-shirt or a bracelet or a necklace with a cross on it. It means following the teachings of Jesus every day. It means reaching out to the poor and feeding the hungry and being a friend to someone who doesn't have a friend, loving people who are unlovable. So in other words, it means to show the love of Jesus to everyone we meet, no matter what. And that's what separates a fan from a follower. So do we want to be fans or followers? Yes. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, help us to be more than fans. Help us to be true believers and followers of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
3: lesson is found in the book of Psalms in your Bible. It's on pages 878 and 879 and I'll be reading from Psalm number 40 verses 1 through 4. For the director of music of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He sat my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to the false gods. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks thanks be to God.
0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, at times we are deeply sad, deeply troubled, deeply angry, (coughs) and separated from everyone. But you come and find us. You pursue us in every way. Teach us this morning, Lord, about radical hospitality. As we open our books, as we open our Bibles... As we sing our songs, help us to understand fully how patient and how passionate you are in pursuing us. Inspire us this morning, Lord, as we pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We'll now take up our tithes and other offerings. If you do not have the money to donate to Epworth today, I encourage you to do it next week, and during the offertory, if you would pass your attendance registers to the right. Bye. Uh-huh. Please be seated. Today we remain focused on chapter wo- chapter one of our book, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. If you ordered a book and haven't yet haven't yet picked it up, it's in the back in the lobby. If you would like a book, you can make sure and let us know, and we'll uh, make sure we get you one. And we're going to read it through all the way through October. And it talks about five practices, regardless of your size, that your church should be uh, following to the best of their ability. Today we're talking about radical hospitality. And uh, it, I don't think there's any mistake why it starts off the book, why it's important to talk about it in September. And that's because uh, if I gave you a second to think about it without losing focus the rest of the 30 minutes, if you, say, if I said name a business that you walked in, and they treated you like they wanted you to be there and celebrated your arrival and did what you needed and if there was a mistake, they stayed after it until they fixed it. Or name a business you walked in you knew they didn't want you there. They knew they weren't passionate about your business and didn't get it right and then you left. You wouldn't have to think too hard to come up with both of those. And church is certainly different than a business, but church has similar principles. And so we're talking about radical hospitality to make sure uh, that we are laser focused on that this fall. Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew 9, verse 35, and that's found on page 1510 in your pew Bible. And I encourage, even if you don't normally break the Bible out, I, I want you to do it this time just because of what, you're, what we're going to do with it. 1510. And we're going to do something different. I'm going to read the whole thing. You're going to have to hang in there. Matthew 9, verse 35, on page 1510. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Keep it right there. Hold on to it. First question from the book, chapter 1. Why do people need Christ? Why not go to any source of wisdom and love, uh, just any solid leader who's pretty smart and wants to reach out to people and help people? Why Jesus in particular? Well, there's five reasons found in the paragraph you just read. Number one, people were Jesus was pursuing them. You see that in the paragraph? Jesus went through all the towns and villages. You know, If you watch a movie about a pharaoh or about a king or about a a princess or whatever it may be, imagine a much taller staircase. Imagine an enormous throne in the back. Imagine soldiers on either side protecting that person. Soldiers here, soldiers at the door, soldiers at the street. And you may get a chance to get past the first row. You may be able to get further. You may be able to actually speak to this person and if you do, you better hurry up and you better not say something stupid. Or every one of those soldiers who's protecting this person will find a way to harm you. What's the opposite of that in this paragraph? Jesus went to all of them. Jesus sought them out, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news. The second thing Jesus did was teach. And why is that? Because people don't know the entire story. And they don't know the point of the entire story. Many of them can't read. And those that can read focus on just a couple parts of it. And so, if you had the entire Bible, and I gave you two pages you could pick, and those two pages were going to be what you based everything you knew about God and Jesus on, how would you do? You struggle. Especially if I gave you one of these pages back here. If that's all you ever knew, all you had ever heard of, then you don't know the whole story, and you're basing judgments on what you should do and what you believe on that tiny little part. So Jesus slowed down and taught the people so that they could understand the story and understand the point of the story. You ever, uh, you ever, with a group of people, and you all read the same paragraph, and then you talk about that paragraph, and you have no idea how those people came up with that. Like, how did you come up with that? With what we just read. Think about all the religious leaders in their life that have taught them all sorts of different things. And think about Jesus being the one to teach them those things. The third thing he did was proclaim the good news that their town, their place, their neighborhood mattered. And the majority of the places that he went would easily have been told their entire life your place does not matter. Your neighborhood does not matter. Your family does not matter. None of them matter. We are the only people that matter. And Jesus went to them to teach them and proclaim the good news to them. The fourth thing he did was heal them. What's the number one type of healing that grabs headlines? Physical. That's the thing we pray for absolutely the most. Physical healing. And Jesus did heal people physically. But he also did three other really critical types that are almost just as important. He healed them spiritually. Imagine if the person who told you that your town didn't matter, that your family didn't matter, that you didn't matter, was a religious leader. How would that make you feel about God? Crushed. Imagine if your family had had enough turmoil that they're not even speaking to one another, and there's no hope for it, but you have an opportunity for relational healing among each other. So I've been in an ER room, I've been in a uh, long-term care room, I've been in some very difficult spots medically where we were praying for the individual that was ill. And there are times in which that person who is ill is healed. But in my experience, there are many more opportunities for relational healing, because I've been there with a person who was not going to make it, but this brother and this sister had not spoken to each other in 10 years. And this illness is what's drawing them together. And you've got an opportunity for the two of them to speak to each other because they haven't spoken to each other. Because if I hear that person say one more thing, something bad's going to happen. There's an opportunity for that sort of healing mental healing. Jesus healed them in four really specific, really important ways. And finally, the fifth reason he had compassion on them. Do you see that? You know how hard compassion is when you're tired? I don't think there's any one of us, if we saw an animal in danger, or we saw a human in danger, or we saw someone hungry, or we saw someone who just needed to have a listening ear, wouldn't think, yes, that's the thing to do. But there's any number of things that stop us. I would say primarily it's fatigue. If we're tired, we just, oh, I can't, Mm-mm. In fact, Katie will tell you that that there are times when um, there's something else going on that she says, "Hey, can you help?" Mm-mm, I can't. Mm-mm. Not one. Mm-mm. <laughs> Not one more thing, please. And she says, "Okay, I need you. I need you to push through that and let me actually explain the whole thing so that we can do something about it." Fatigue. Maybe a bigger thing is fear. Do I have what it takes? Do I have the resources? Do we have anything that we need in order to help this? Because if we don't, let's not even acknowledge it. Let's just, let's just keep walking. But Jesus, in moments of total exhaustion, because he was human, had compassion for the people. So why do people need Christ is the first question. second question is why do people need the church? Why not just get an app? Why not just look at your Bible? Why not just be at home? Look at it on the computer. Why would you need to come to church? Well, hopefully, at least these four reasons. A community of support. Genuine community of support. When you're going through something, or when you're excited about something, or when you want to learn something, or when you want to teach something, you've got an opportunity to gather together rather than just be isolated. I know that I'm more likely to read a book if a friend of mine is reading a book with me. I'm more likely to read a book if I'm asking an entire church to read a book along with me. Corporate worship and small group development. When we gather together and we worship together and we sing together, think about you singing by yourself. How does that typically go? What about you singing with a star that's really good at singing? How does that typically go? Better. Closer. What about when a song strikes a chord with you that we are all singing and you feel that together? What about in the communion liturgy last week when we all say together we have fallen short of the glory of God but we're going to try again. See, if we aren't gathering together we can start to think, well, those people have fallen short. Or we can say, I'm the only one that's falling short. Both of those are dangerous. But if we're gathering as a community, a genuine community, we understand that we are all falling short as we say that beside one another. All forms of prayer in this service before meetings, before prayer group, before anything, before sporting events, praying together is important at the church. And finally, project collaboration and recreation. When we, when we uh, you know, some of us are much stronger than others. Some are more skilled than others. Some are more patient than others. We gather at the church because we're stronger as a group than we are by ourselves. Here my okay. This is the last question, and sometimes people get a little. hmm. me asking you this question: for? The author says, "Why do people need this particular congregation?" Yeah, people need church, absolutely. Why do people need memorial? Somebody know? There he is, I guess. But if you uh, went to the internet and you typed in churches two nine six five zero. How many churches do you think you'd get? You went to Yelp pages and you look up churches. Let I me mean, you know how many churches you get. Why does Greer need memorial? Here's a dark version that he says this is not for our church in particular. He said this is when a church is misfiring, when it's not doing its best. This is a quote from the book. When church members love each other so much that their lives are so intertwined and their interests are so interwoven that church groups become impenetrable to new people. Closeness closes out new people who feel like outsiders looking in and those on the inside don't even notice. Church members feel content because their own needs are met. I'm pretty powerful and pretty direct. And what I love about this community is if you've been here about 40 years, you're a newcomer. You're new to Greer. I'm new to Greer. I only came in 1979. <laughs> Upside of that is everybody's bought into this community. The tough side about that, if, if you're new to the community, you've got to break in. And so how can a church deny this paragraph? Go away from what this paragraph is telling us a church that is misfiring is doing. We have to think it like a restaurant would think. I'll give you two examples, and I'll leave out the names. Um, I went to one place to get lunch, and the uh, parking lot was full. I mean, there's parking, but it was full. The place was busy. The workers were going in every direction. And one worker I pulled up said, um, what would you like? How can I help you? And then I said what I wanted. And then that person repeated back what I said to make sure it was right. And then a couple minutes later, they handed me exactly what I said. And I'm crazy, stupid specific. I don't want any pickles. I don't want any pickles. I know that you love to put pickles on it. I don't want them. You are... Drawn by gravity, put pickles on my sandwich. Please don't do it. So they say that, and then she hands it to me, and it's right, and I walk out. And she's moving on to the next person. I walked in another restaurant recently where there were three workers and one customer. And I was the customer. The only one. And when I walked in the door... The person who was standing at the counter said, I've said a name and, not, and was fictional. Uh, Margie, you've got this one. And she started walking that way. She said, I don't know. I don't know. Margie was sitting at a table, eating a sandwich and she took a bite out of her sandwich and looked back at me like, I, I, I promise you. I, um, I just pay, I'm so hypersensitive and notice so many things that people think I'm actually making it up. I'm telling you, I've been in the service industry my entire life, hypersensitive of what they're feeling. And she took a and she went, Ugh. and she came over and she said, what would you like? And I should have just walked out. I should have said, you know what, this probably ain't going to end well. But I told her I wanted what I wanted from that place. So I stuck in there, and I told her what I wanted. And she turned around and told the person. And by the time she's telling the person, this person is coming back into the scene. And she says, I'm not doing the forks this time. Puts them down. And that person, after she took my order, is doing the forks just mad. And this person walks off and says to the other, to the cook, who should be cooking because there's only one (laughs) job. She says, nobody's even been in here today. This is stupid. And distracting the cook from cooking the thing that I've asked him to cook. And then I walked out. Now, is that person a bad person? Not likely. Uh, really, probably not. That person is an exhausted person. And that person figures there's nothing to do here. And in my exhaustion, I'm not going to push through it in order to do something for one person. Not doing it. That other person is equally exhausted, I'm certain, because of workload. But made sure it was right, made sure I had what I needed made sure there wasn't a pickle there, and then gave it to me, and I walked out. So um, church leads to exhaustion, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Don't we get overworked in church? Don't we get asked to do stuff in church that uh, strains us? Don't we come to church sort of, uh, whew, this was a week, and we come here? And then when we come here, we see people, and we figure, oh, there's my friend. That friend's not going to ask anything of me. I can just be friendly to them, and then somebody walks by. And that may be the one time they ever walk in memorial. The one time. So what I want in reading this book and understanding my introvertedness and my desire to just talk to somebody I know is to encourage you and encourage me to fight through that and to reach out to people and say, How are you? Is there anything that you need here? Do you understand what we're doing here? So the book asks, what's the first thing people will see as they're coming in the door? Well, I ruined it. They said, um, the, first person, the first thing people see is facilities speak a message to people about what church members think of themselves. How importantly they take their mission, how confidently they see the future of their church. Our buildings tell what our church thinks about children, senior citizens, persons with disabilities, and visitors. So what's the first thing people see when they think about Memorial? More than likely the website. And your website tells a story. So the thing I want to celebrate that's on the website is that both worship services are provided in their entirety. And what's funny is as I've visited people, our seniors are more and more technically sound than when I visited people when it was my primary job eight years ago. The seniors that I visit now have iPads and they're breaking out their iPads to watch the service online. The seniors that I visited eight years ago wanted to know why the red went in the red and the yellow went in the yellow in the television. It's drastically different. So to offer that is amazing. And we're working on a new video that welcomes people to this church and how to use the website. What's the next thing they notice? Our campus. What's the good news about our campus? It looks beautiful. It really does. And we've got um, some access issues, but we've got access into most places. We've got greeters standing there. That's the next thing they see. I'm very happy about that. The last thing people see when they're in the congregation is looks from the congregation. You ever see a mom with a child that's just losing it? I mean, that child is gone. It's not coming back. We are not recovering in the next hour. Unless you may in the 9 o'clock and a donut hole fixes it. <laughs> but in here, that's going to be tough. And so, there are two options on the way that we look at moms and dads with child, children who are losing it. This is an option number one. What are you, the worst parent ever? (laughs) Do you know anything? Do you know that this is a worship service? What's the other option? I've been a parent. Okay. I, um, the other day there was a mom. I mean, it was. <laughs> she was trying to get her kids to walk out of the door to Target. That's all she was trying to do. The <laughs> motorized door at Target. And they wouldn't. They wanted to ride in the counter, and he wanted to be in the front seat. This guy wanted to be. No, I want to be in the front seat, and I want to ride, and I want to push. She's just trying to get out of the Target. That's all she's trying to do. And there are people building up behind her, and she's just looking back like, oh, I quit. And I said, <laughs> I said, we have children. Just relax. Relax. Making sure that the looks from the congregation are the friendliest looks they're going to get this week. So what do we need to be doing? John chapter 1 verse 43 says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Why is He leaving for Galilee? He's going to him. He's reaching out to him. Finding Philip, He said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. He's telling him. He's excited about his um, opportunity. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, he said, Can anything good come from there? Now, I don't, I don't know what town it would be, but whatever. there's a lot of towns around here. And I could poll all of you which town you would think, oh, people from that town? What, are you kidding me? That's where the Savior's coming from? There? And that's what he says. When he's excited and his friend tells him nothing good can come from the place you're talking about, he's got a couple options there. He can say, what are you, stupid? He could say, well, I don't care about you anyway. We're moving on. He said three words. What were the three words? Come and see. He didn't overpromise. He didn't say anything crazy. He didn't say it was going to be fireworks. He didn't say it was going to be candy. He didn't say it's the greatest thing you've ever seen. He didn't say, what are you stupid? He said, come and see. That's it. Come and see. That's all we have to say. Final quote from the book. People don't need to know the answers to all the questions of faith and life to invite someone to church. They don't need to exaggerate or persuade or say more is true. They simply and naturally find their own way of saying to acquaintances and those with whom they share common activities three words. What are they?
1: Come and see. Come and see.
0: Just come check it out. So I've uh, um, applied to be in Leadership Greer. I'm in Leadership Greer this year. I'm going to the Touchdown Club at First Baptist on Thursdays. I'm going to be honest with you, that's not work. That's total fun. <laughs> I'm finding ways to be in the community so that people see me, so they see I have two eyes. I've got two hands. I'm just like them and fairly friendly. And if the opportunity comes up where they say, you know, what's going on at Memorial?
1: Come and see.
0: Come and see. We're going to park in our grassy parking lot so you'll have a parking space. Come and see. We're going to greet you when you come to the door. Come and see. We've got stuff for your children. We've got stuff for your youth. We have stuff on Sunday nights. We've got every opportunity for you to learn in your faith and grow. And we're going to be friendly to you when you come. Come and see. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your pursuing love. And we ask that you inspire us to live out that pursuing love throughout this week so that we go out to this community, so that we set the example with our actions rather than our words, and we invite people to be part of our loving, faithful community. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn is number 723, Shall We Gather? Children, if you've drawn on the back of the bulletin, please put your name on it in your age. And if you'll come and place it right here after the worship service, we'll make sure that we get it. And I'll put it in the back of our bulletin. Go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and power and presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.